Welcome to Hunting for Nova Sparkus by Coho Creative. Welcome to Hunting for Nova Sparkus. Today, I have with me Ronald DeVlong. Hello. And we are going to be talking to a very, very, very interesting person down in Australia named Mike Smith who is the owner of a company that just officially launched called ZeroCo. G'day, guys. How are you? There it is, the accent. I thought I'd start off with a little bit of Aussie colloquialism there for you. Perfect. I love it. It's, it's, it's only the second time we've talked, but we, it, it already feels like we're really good friends. Um, but that's another Australian trait that I've come to admire from uh, people from Dan Under. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. We're hunting for some thought leadership and some some entrepreneurs and pioneers that have uh, really broken through the sustainable recycling, reducing waste agenda that we're pursuing on this particular series. And thank you again for joining. And we, we, we're going to talk a little bit about ZeroCo, your company that you've just set up. And um, before we started recording, we actually already started celebrating the the fact that uh, it's no longer just a startup. You're you're actually in business. But yeah, give the give the listeners a bit of background and uh, to where to where you are today. Well, first of all, thanks for um, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I will try and live up to the lofty expectations you've set in that setup there. <laughs> but yes, we Zero Co. As of yesterday, officially launched uh, into the world. So. Oh yeah, it's it's um it's an awesome feeling. Uh, it's been a it's been a long and tumultuous road to get here. Uh, so we we kind of well we officially put this idea out into the world via a Kickstarter campaign last November in a in a different universe in a different time in a different world pre COVID. Right, we had this idea. We we launched a Kickstarter campaign um, down here in Australia. Uh, we set ourselves a goal of trying to raise $250,000 to get this idea off the ground. We ended up um, raising $750,000 in, in four weeks, which made it the biggest Kickstarter campaign in Australia of last year. Uh, and then we were due to launch in kind of June or July of this year, but obviously COVID happened and, and the world changed. And so our business was delayed by a few months and uh, and yesterday we officially went live. So we've um, we've shipped over two hundred thousand individual products now to more than an eleven and a half. I think it's actually close to twelve thousand customers that pre-ordered some of our products. So yes, there's been lots of cheering in the office the last um, the last twenty four hours. It's been a, a mammoth task to ship out two hundred thousand products in a couple of weeks. You know, to get us started. So yeah, it's an awesome feeling. Well, congratulations. And I know it's taken a, a lot of hard work because as we start to dig sort of deeper into Zero Coast mission and origins, I think the listeners will be just amazed at, at this particular business model. It's one that I think makes perfect sense. It's what I would call the holy grail. But why don't you kind of explain your your, your vision and, 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 and how this came about? Yeah, sure. So at, at the core of what we're trying to do, our, our mission is to try and solve the global plastic problem in its totality in the most holistic way possible. And I know that sounds like a crazy, audacious um, goal to have, but we, we sat down and we really thought about what is causing 
what are the causes of the plastic problem and and how do you go about addressing that in the most holistic way possible and our thesis is that if we're going to solve the plastic problem we need to do two things as a species on a global scale we need to first of all stop making more plastic right at the top of the supply chain we need to turn off the tap right we need to just stop pulling more oil out of the ground and refining that and turning that into plastic and using it and chucking it away. That's the absolute first thing we've got to do. But the second thing we've got to do is we've got to find a way to take all of the plastic that's found its way into our oceans and rivers and natural environments. We've got to find a, a mechanism to get that out of, the, out of that natural environment um, because it doesn't belong there, right? So that's exactly what we've set out to do. We've set out to build a, to build a, a business, to build a market-based mechanism that can do both of those things at the same time. So it's called ZeroCo, uh, and what we've done is we've built a, a circular supply chain to, to build, to manufacture and, and sell personal care and home cleaning products that we deliver direct to Aussie homes minus all the single-use plastic. So when you order your first box of ZeroCo products, you get what we call a forever bottle, which is made from plastic waste that we've pulled out of the ocean. So every time you buy a box, one of our starter boxes, you are directly funding large-scale ocean cleanup work. So far, we have pulled 12,000 kilos of plastic out of the ocean, which is the equivalent of over a million water bottles worth of plastic that we have drained out of the ocean, recycled, and turned into our bottles. Uh, you also get in your, in your starter box a set of refill pouches that are made from plastic waste diverted from landfill. And when you're done with those, you send them back to us so we can clean them, sanitize them, refill them, and send them back out into the world again. So the forever bottles deal with cleaning up the ocean and our refill pouches deal with stopping the supply of new plastic because you send them back to us and we refill them instead of chucking them in the bin. Mike, who are you working with to pull the plastic bottles out of the ocean? Yeah, we have a, um, we're working with a Danish company called Pactech. They're a, they're a Danish packaging company and they have uh, a cleanup initiative called Ocean Waste Plastic, where they've got a team of uh, Indonesian fishermen in Indonesia who go out and, uh, and literally trawl the ocean and, and pull this plastic out of the ocean. We, we actually went to Jakarta in December before um, COVID hit and took part in our first cleanup. Our first cleanup, we, we pulled 6,000 kilos of plastic out of the ocean, uh, and then we've just done a second one in the last few months. How many more, how many, you know, what does the supply chain look like in terms of monthly or quarterly? So our goal is to, is to remove 4 million water bottles worth of plastic in, in our first 12 months, and we're, we're halfway there. You know, that 12 months started yesterday when we officially launched the business, and we're already halfway to that target before we've launched. And that's just based on supply and demand here in Australia. Um, we've got plans to, to launch into other markets internationally. Fantastic. So it's, it's a little bit like the Milkman concept too, right? It's exactly like the Milkman. You order, we deliver, you return, we refill. It, it is exactly the Milkman. There's nothing new or sexy about what we're doing. Uh, it's a very, very old idea. But it works. But it works. It works. And, and for some strange reason, we... We, you know, decided 30 years ago um, to stop doing that tried and tested model of reusing packaging or, or building packaging that was designed to last for a long time and reusing it over and over again. We just decided, oh, we're just gonna we're just gonna start using packaging once and chuck it in the bin, and it's it's just absolutely crazy what we're doing. And we need to change. We need to go back to 
we need to find a new model or go back to an old model that has proven to work in the past. And, and that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I dare say that the petro comp- petrochemical companies that you mentioned earlier on have something to do with that kind of change of behavior that we, we've undergone in these last 25 years since probably you know, the Second World War. We, we've just started consuming and disposing rather than thinking about reusing and, and thinking about recycling and thinking about um, upcycling or all, all, the, all the things that we can do with plastics, which have far, far longer life cycle than just one use. Definitely. There's been a number of, um, you know, news articles and documentaries and TV shows recently about the birth of the plastic industry and also the birth of the recycling industry and essentially the con job that the, um, that the uh, oil manufacturers have, um, you know, they've conned everyone into believing that this recycling thing is a real thing. And it's totally not a real thing and it has never been a real thing. And, and I know here in Australia, we've just been shipping all of our recycling to, to Indonesia and to Malaysia and um, to the Philippines. And so I know here in Australia, we've, we've all believed that for the last 20 years, we've got a, a red bin out the front of a house and a yellow bin. You put your rubbish in the red bin, you put your recycling in the yellow bin. And we all thought that the yellow bin was getting picked up and taken to a recycling center here in Australia and recycled and turned into something else. And and it's only come out probably in the last 12 months that that is a total hoax and that it doesn't actually happen at all. It gets put on a ship and sent to a third world country and either burnt or buried in a hole or chucked into the ocean. So, you know, and and I think it's the same in a, a lot of developed countries around the world. It's a similar system. So, I think Europe apart, I think North America certainly suffers from very, very poor recycling rates. And despite the fact municipals have what we now call the blue bin here in Chicago, I don't know what they have in Cincinnati, but it's it's 9% at best. It's under 10 of that material that gets recycled. Obviously, a lot of it is also due to contamination and a lot of you know recycling plants have to do a huge amount of cleanup before they can even get to the core, you know, plastics uh, or core materials, the raw materials that can then be reground or or and reheated for 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 you know remolding. Just takes that out, right? This is the zero co is completely different in terms of once you've got the mothership, what I would call your your forever bottle, that that's going to last you know thirty, fifty, sixty uses. I don't know. Well, our, our goal is for this for these bottles to last literally forever. So, so we we talk about these things becoming generational objects of desire, right? So th- there's no reason why you should not inherit your grandparents' laundry liquid bottle when they when they leave this place, right? That that's what plastic is designed to do. Plastic is designed to last forever. So we've we've tried to make these things beautiful, aesthetically pleasing objects. So that they will become, you know, things that people will cherish and hopefully will still be around in 400 years time because that's, that's what plastic is meant to do. It's not meant to be used for six weeks and then chucked in the bin. It's meant to be used for 400 years. So that's really what we're trying to do here. What are you doing to kind of measure your, your success and how does Zero Co kind of compare to some other things in, in perhaps Australia or in, the, in you know, have you seen some competitor 
things in in other countries? Yeah, there's there's a few things. Well, as you said, there's a lot of things popping up. You know, in the last kind of twelve months since we launched our Kickstarter campaign, there have been lots of bits and pieces of similar things, or um, I guess companies or people trying to address the same problem that we're trying to address, doing it in a whole bunch of different ways. There's a number of companies in the US now. There's Blue Land who, who have been quite successful. They're, they're not doing exactly the same thing. They are doing a, um, a dissolvable tablet. You know, they send you um, a little tablet that you put into a bottle and add water and it turns into surface cleaner, for example. There's a company called Clean Cult in the US that are sending product out in milk cartons, cardboard milk cartons that you then, you know, put into your recycling bin. There's the Loop Store, obviously. They're doing an aluminium container that gets sent back and forth. So there's, there's people doing similar things. I think the thing that, that differentiates ZeroCo is the, the holistic nature of what we're doing. We are, you know, we are trying to do uh, a holistic cleanup effort. We're trying to take plastic out of the ocean and we're trying to stop single-use plastic at the same time. Uh, there's, there's companies doing probably the, the second part of that, which is stop the single-use plastic thing, but they're, they're not really doing a whole bunch of cleanup work on top of that. So that's, I think, one of the main things that differentiates us from everyone else out there at the moment. Great. How difficult has it been? Uh, you talked about kind of this, you know, fundraising and getting, you know, maybe some, some investors and, you know, other perhaps um, people that just donate their time, et cetera. I don't know. But, you know, from, from where you are now, how, how difficult has this journey been? I also kind of want to know whether consumers gave you any pushback or whether they were extremely pro, you know, putting in a little bit more effort and, and, and kind of living with a different kind of behavior in order to do better for the world. Mm. I can hand on heart say that trying to launch a new business during COVID is probably not the best time to do it. Um, we, we, we have just been battered by supply chain and logistical issues over the past kind of six months now since since kind of march when when covid really kind of happened here in australia it's just been a nightmare to be honest but it's probably been a really great learning experience for us and it's forced us to you know to get tough really early on in our business to get lean um, and just to practice the perseverance that you need to succeed right so there was probably three moments in the last six months where, where the whole project nearly fell over before it had even started because of various issues relating to COVID, whether that was um, our inability to secure investors to just our entire supply chain absolutely collapsing and going from you know a six-week delivery window to a 28-week delivery window. Wow. It was tough. It was really tough, but we persevered. We came out the other end. A, a bigger, a better, a stronger business. Uh, and so we kind of have this belief now that if, if we can successfully launch a business during COVID, we can do anything, basically. That's, that's the lesson we've taken away from this last six months. And in terms of, in terms of um, public support, it, it's been amazing. And it's been testament, I think, to the fact that the people just want to be part of the solution. Everybody knows about this plastic problem, right? There's, it's not like we don't see it. It's not like we don't know about it. And there's also kind of, I believe, broad, widespread support for solutions to this problem. There's, there's not a kind of vitriolic public debate about plastic, right? Like there, there are, there's still, there's still um, a visceral divide out there about some of these other environmental issues, issues like climate change, for example. 
I haven't yet met a single person who's out there campaigning to make more plastic and put more plastic in the ocean, right? It just, it doesn't exist. Like there's, there's not this, there's not a, uh, there's not an anti-vaxxer movement in the, uh, in the plastic space. Right. Um, and because of that, uh, it's been really easy to galvanize support because people know about the problem. They want to be part of the solution. And there's just not a convenient cost-effective solution that's been presented to people on mass just yet. And so that's what we've tried to do here in Australia is just say to people, here is the solution that we know you want. We can't do it by ourselves. We need your support to do this. The only way we're going to solve the plastic problem is if we all band together and work together. So we've just tried to be as positive and as inclusive as possible and just invite as many people from as many different walks of life to come and join us on this journey. And it's been incredibly heartwarming. Um, you know, we've had we have had the most diverse group of people come on board and support this so far. It's 70 year old people who live in the middle of nowhere. It's inner city hipster couples. It is, it is everybody. It, it is all walks of life. It's all colors. It's all creeds. It's, it's been awesome just to see everyone getting together and going, yes, this is an awesome solution. Let's, let's solve the problem. Actually, COVID might ultimately help the acceptance beyond early adopters because of the ability to not have to go to the store to get it. That's coming right to the, to the door. So, and I know that's probably not something you can actually track or to be able to, to gauge, but ultimately this, you know, these road bumps might actually help you in the long term. Definitely. Definitely. There's, there's been a massive, a massive spike in online shopping here in Australia, particularly around groceries. I'm sure it's probably the same in the U S um, but it's, it's been something like a 350% increase in online shopping here in Australia in the last six months. So people are now as a result of COVID buying laundry liquid and hand wash and dishwashing detergent online from the supermarket and getting it delivered to their door. So it, it absolutely has helped our, our case in terms of taking a shift in, in consumer behavior, because that was one of the big concerns we had is people aren't necessarily buying these products en masse online. Uh, but they are a lot more now than they were six months ago. So yeah, thanks, COVID. Yeah, wow. I mean, I, I, it makes me think about the other things that Australia, just like California or you know the west coast of um, California was was struggling with was the fires and this kind of increase cadence of you know global warming kind of effects, right? Yeah, yeah. There is a lot of denial around whether that's part of global warming, but it's undeniably something that's affecting a lot of people. These forest fires, bushfires in Australia. I know that doesn't, you know, that's not linked, obviously, to plastics and plastic waste, but I do think it galvanizes the people, right, to to these agendas around uh, wanting to do better and 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 wanting to kind of be a better citizen to make sure this planet can can last, you know. A few generations longer, you know. Yeah, definitely. Look, it, it's been a it's been a nightmare year in Australia. We had the biggest bushfires in our history, December, January, February, uh, and then COVID arrived on our shores in March. So it has been a brutal year for for the Australian environment, for the Australian economy, for for just the psyche of Australia. And on the kind of environmental point, we we have a really unusual dichotomy here in Australia. I believe um, we are, you know inherently an outdoors people, right? We, we are known around the world as being surfers and being hikers and um, being, you know, out in the wilderness and farmers, the outback, the bush. 
we we love the great outdoors in Australia. We, we have a massive, beautiful, crazy um, country full of amazing wildlife and environment, but yet we still are, are very conservative when it comes to this issue of climate change, uh, and, and even when it prevents itself in the most ferocious ways on our doorsteps through huge bushfires and you know beaches being washed away in Sydney now. Uh, there, there is still a a denialism that exists within Australia, which I, I really I struggle to understand how that dichotomy of of opinion exists in Australia. It's 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 um, unusual for me. Yeah, and, and and do you? I mean, again, America might be similar too. I'm I'm not sure, but geographically, Australia is huge. Are you zero co getting a lot of traction in in those outer states? You know, states. Yeah, we are. We're, so we're national from day one. We've had pre-orders from every single state and territory in Australia. We, we've had orders from, you know, metro inner city areas, and we've had orders in, in the outback, right right out in the middle of nowhere. So we're, we're shipping boxes all around Australia, which is, that, that was one of the amazing things for me to see, you know, it's, it, it is people all around Australia, which is, which is awesome. Again, congratulations. How many, how many cases did you just send, did you say? We've we've just shipped um, just shy of twelve thousand boxes of product, which is about which is made up of about two hundred thousand individual products that we've packed and shipped. So, what do you think is the future? You know, I know Zerico will keep you very very busy, but if you were to put your binoculars kind of slightly sideways, where where else do you think we could make really significant gains in reducing this this the non-recycling of plastics. Mm. One of the one of the things that I always say to to people is, you know, I'm very cognizant of the fact that zero co is not going to solve this problem globally by itself. Uh, I'm confident, but I'm not that confident. Um, I, I think what we're trying to do is is really just prove that this elusive circular economy that you know people like to give TEDx talks about and university lecturers like to write papers about but nobody's really put into practice and scaled and proven is profitable. Um, that's really what we're trying to do here. We're trying to prove that this model is real, that it is scalable, that it is profitable. Uh, and, and if we can do that in little old Australia, uh, then there is absolutely no reason for the big guys, for the Unilevers and the Procter and Gambles to continue doing what they're doing. Because if, we if we can find a better way and make it profitable, then there's no excuse for them to continue doing what they're doing. And if we can do that, um, then, and we can force the big guys to move, then, then we have a real shot at changing, changing the entire ecosystem of the way plastic is used. And, and our, our belief here is that, you know, to fix, the, the other way to fix this problem is to build hundreds and hundreds of billions, potentially trillions of dollars worth of recycling um, centers all around the world, right? And that's a huge investment of capital and time and, and infrastructure. Or we, or we can spend zero dollars, no money, no public money, and just change the way we're using plastic. So we think, we think that's a much better solution. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a mix of the two, ultimately, because I do think, obviously, some consumer behavior will, will die slowly in terms of how they use single-use plastics. But I agree with you. There is, there's a huge potential. But you mentioned the Unilevers, and I, I, are you worried that zero co might get a huge bag of gold offered by one of these big conglomerates and 
then be just kind of sidelined into something that for them, you know, looks good on their books, but might not be, you know, something that they push wholeheartedly for the future? Yeah, sure. Um, it's a really interesting question. And, and I hope that that's a dilemma that one day presents itself, right? Uh, I, I think the Ben and Jerry's example is is a pretty good example to, to go off, right? Where they were acquired by Unilever, but as part of that acquisition, there was a whole bunch of non-negotiables that Unilever could not change about, about the ethos on, and the operating procedures of the business. So if that was to happen at one point in the future, we, we would take the same approach. I've said to all of our investors and, and everyone who joins this business, that zero co is not for sale if if that means that it gets put on a shelf and and tucked away from the world because what we're trying to do is too important for that so this is not a get rich quick scheme um this is this is about trying to solve a fundamental problem in the world and if we can find a big global organization who wants to partner with us and help us scale that solution and genuinely solve the problem on a bigger scale then then we're happy to take phone calls but if it is buy something so you can, um, you know, have a new shiny thing to tell the world about, but not really do anything, then I don't care how big your check is, it's not for sale. Yeah. I have to give you huge compliments too on the website. Uh, it's, it's really interactive. Oh, yeah. I think you, you, you hit on it earlier too when you talked about how consu- you know, the, the way consumers look at this particular aspect of our own uh, behavior, which is, you know, we, we, we do so much consuming. Um, I think the website does a great job of just talking very plain, very, you know, it's a very, uh, happy, uh, authentic voice, not, not, not serious, but at the same time, you, you, you're, you're hitting her, you know, you're hitting them with some home runs on, on metrics that are, you know, pretty unbelievable if, if we were to scale this even further as well. Yeah, totally. Look, to, to be honest with you, there's a bit of Trojan horse work at play here, right? Our philosophy is that this thing's got to look pretty, right? They've got to be objects of desire. And, and tonally, if we can make people laugh and have a good time whilst they're saving the world, whilst they're buying something that's really pretty that they want to have in their house, then, then we win, right? So we're very mindful of that there's no shots of turtles with straws in their noses. Uh, there's no doom and gloom stuff. The world doesn't need any more people talking about the plastic problem. There's a whole economy that's sprung up to monetize talking about the plastic problem. We don't need to do that. We're just here to talk about the solution and, and to do it in, in the most inclusive and inviting and fun and irreverent way possible to try and invite people to be part of this solution. So yeah, that's, that is the Trojan horse. Make it fun, make it look pretty. And, and if we can do that, then we can have a shot at actually solving the plastic problem. But you've also been able to make it still very relevant and easy to understand, which is tricky when you're being more cheeky and fun. So I think, I mean, you've done a really good job of balancing both of those worlds. It's it, I, even just, you know, it's not that you're not taking it seriously. It's you're, you're obviously very passionate about what you're doing and it comes through in, especially in the videos when you talk about it, but it's very straightforward and very meaningful. So it's good job. Oh, thank you so much. Ellen, Ellen and I are both uh, designers, so we appreciate these type of things. And I appreciate kind of this form language that you've created. Yeah. So the pouches yeah. which, you know, are usually hidden and, and stored away. They themselves also have a bit of character 
at some point you're going to touch those at some point you're going to have to engage with them to take them out of the uh the mothership empty or um you know re re resend them back and so yeah there's a lot of touch points that we really appreciate uh awesome thank you so much yeah we look we spent a lot of time debating the aesthetics of this thing because it is it's so important people like things that look nice right at the end of the day absolutely agree and the little pithy statements on the bottles fun too yeah yeah <laughs> again just trying to have a bit of fun you know at the end of the day we're selling pretty unsexy products we're selling things to clean your toilet um and and laundry liquid and hand wash and stuff there's nothing inherently uh innovative or sexy or exciting about those things so we've kind of tried to just build a you know a world around those that is fun I guess in the juice inside is that is that being uh, formulated to be environmentally friendly too? I'm I'm sure it has. That's really bad for the planet. We've we've got all this great stuff, and then we just thought we just put all <laughs> toxic stuff inside the pouches. Silly question, but yes, we formulated everything ourselves. We we brought in um, three different industrial chemists uh, to formulate all of the products. Uh, we had a really really tight and strict design brief for the products. No palm oil no petrochemicals, no harsh detergents, no bleach, none of that stuff. So they're all kind of plant and mineral derived formulations. And then what we did was we had a rigorous testing schedule. We, we engaged an independent laboratory and we tested our formulas against the market leading products in each of the categories here in Australia. And we kept reformulating and testing and reformulating and testing and reformulating and testing until we had products that we can hand on heart say, perform as well, if not better than the big name supermarket brands without all of the nasty stuff, without any single use plastic delivered direct to your door at the same price. Right. So we really wanted to make sure that this was a bulletproof solution um, because at the end of the day, if the products don't work, you can, you can have all the fluffy marketing story you want, but if someone washes their clothes with your laundry liquid and it doesn't get the red wine stain out from last night, they're not going to reorder. So the whole thing falls over. So we've been very, very mindful of making sure that the products do do what they're supposed to do. Awesome. Ellen, I think, I think we can kind of close it out, right? Yeah, this was, this was great. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll end with this final question where you can tell us what you think, you know, what the spark for Nova Sparkus is for you. So, you know, us, this is anything, any new idea, any new way of thinking. Do you have a Nova Sparkus to share with us to conclude today's discussion? Yeah, I guess, I guess one of the things I'm trying to, to share with people on this journey is that the world doesn't need any more people sitting on the sidelines, slinging mud or talking about things that they might one day do. The world needs more people getting up off their butts and getting into the arena and fighting for whatever it is they believe in and failing and like just, just muddling their way through and just getting involved and trying to come up with solutions because there are so many problems that we face as a, as a planet, we just need more people doing whatever that is. Just get off your butt and do some stuff. Yeah. And there are a lot of smart people out there. This should be something that people can tackle. Totally. I've, I'm very inspired. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mike. It's great listening to you. I hope Zero Co is on a real, you know, growth trajectory and that you'll, uh, you know, you deserve all the success that um, it should get really. Well, thank you so much for that. And thanks for, um, thanks for having me on your podcast. It's been awesome to, um, to chat to you guys. And maybe one day in the future when COVID 
settles down, I might be in the US to launch Zeroco. There you go. I'll send you an email, Mike, and any help that we can give you would be, we'd be very much, uh, we'd love to be a partner in that uh, story. Great. Thank you. For sure. Thank you, Mike. Awesome. My pleasure. Thank you so much. So that was a really inspiring conversation with Mike Smith and again, bringing Lane back to really, you know, kind of get her point of view and what are some things that she found really um, insightful and inspiring. Hi guys. So my big thought for this conversation was the role of branding and how Zero Co is really utilizing it to their benefit. Um, they've made their brand really fun, really engaging, interactive with the consumer, and it's not what you would expect. And I guess my thought is, you know, how can branding play a similar role, but in making this kind of product maybe more prestigious or more luxurious and enter more into that premium Yeah, market? I think you make a good point. I, I, I'd urge everyone to take a look at the website, zeroco.com.au. And what you'll see is a very, it, it's a brand language, right, Ellen? It's a visual yeah. language that yeah. you yep. can immediately identify. You can... It's simple, it's very, to your point, Lane, very engaging, but it's also fun. It's happy and very, very approachable. Which is interesting because they're kind of talking about very not yeah. happy things, you know, the waste crisis that's happening. So it's interesting. Yeah, but I think when you're using the product, when you're buying it, that doesn't need to be the at the forefront of your message what is nice to know is that you're doing good behind the scenes this company is doing all these other things cleaning the oceans making sure none of it goes to waste um even the refill bags are made from recycled products so that that is it's pretty close to the holy grail and and back to your last point ellen from our conversation loop here, I, I, I kind of think that the consumer is getting a lot of benefits. It's very convenient, yeah. very convenient. And it's very celebratory. Again, everybody, please go check it out because it's not even just the visual, but even the verbal. Like they've got a, a, a they call it the great Aussie plastic purge goal. And they're, you know, they're pledging that they're going to purge 1 million bottles within the first year. And they're almost there. Like, it's just amazing. Um, but just even the language that they use, it makes everybody feel it's, you know, there's always kind of this, I feel good about giving back, but there's, you know, there's also this, this stereotype sometimes with brands that are doing that, that, you know, you're giving back for the right reason. And this is, this is giving back for the right reason, but it's also making you giving you something in return because you are, you are being able to pull plastic out or, you know, being responsible for helping get the plastic out of the oceans, but you're getting this fabulous product that you can use. That's lovely. It's a lovely design, fun colors, and, you know, just a really simple way to continue bringing the product to your doorstep. Right. The, the old milkman principle, right? The, yep. the very thing we've been, we've been talking about in, in, in terms of getting consumers over this hurdle and, and making it as convenient as possible. And as a consumer, it's nice to know that you don't have to make that trade off that you might be getting, you know, it's not natural deodorant where it's, 
better for you, but it's not going to work. Like it's, it does all the things that it's supposed to do. Having talked with Mike, I, I, I'm sure it's a really fun company to work with for too. Um, and I, I, I really would love to help him as he tries to conquer the United States of America. I think perhaps we at Coho could give him a helping hand here and there. Yep, would love that. Great. Well, who do we have up next week? I, I work. work. Yes. Very exciting. Very different type of a conversation. It is. Um, I, I can't wait to share it with everyone. I, I, I know Michael quite well from previous conversations. Be ready for some grim realities around recycling. But uh, it, it, it's really, really interesting um, how they go about. But reality. So what we really need to be working against. So it's, it's good to know what that landscape looks like. Yep. All right. Thanks, everyone. If Hunting for Nova Spark has tapped into your curiosity or sparked any new thinking, check us out and get in touch with us at cohocreative.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Coho Creative. 